On this episode, we're talking about the Chuck finale. Chuck versus the goodbye. God, uh, it's gonna be a doozy, folks. You're listening to Go Check Yourself. Hello, thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is uh, Chris Gillespie. I am wiping tears from my eyes. He really is. My name is Erin Arada, and I am fit to blow out my microphone this episode because I've got a lot of feelings. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. We are going to be talking about. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. We're talking about the last episode of Chuck. Chuck versus, Chuck versus the goodbye ever. Um, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. I can't believe that. Like, it hasn't really like fully sunk in yet. You know what I mean? Like, I haven't fully processed it, I guess. Like, because we've always since we've been doing the show, there's always been another episode of Chuck. There's always another yeah. episode of Chuck. But now, you know, we do have the bonus features and everything like that, which we'll be going into. But like, there's no more episodes of Chuck. It's it's very weird. I I would like to know like what our friends are up to. I would like to know like the ending's kind of ambiguous. I was just kind of like when it ended on Amazon, it was just like, would you like to watch Psych now? Which is I guess kind of a, a fair leap to go from Chuck to Psych. But I was like, I don't like I don't want to watch Psych. I want to watch more Chuck, and it's gone. And, like, now I just have to watch, like, Tangled and pretend it's, like, an alternative universe Chuck or something. Like, I have to watch American Underdog and be like, yeah, well, Chuck got into football after um, the events of Burbank and The Intersect. We do. We absolutely should watch Tangled. I forgot about that. We should do a Tangled episode. That's a good idea. We could do a Tangled episode. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, also, American Underdog, you know. That's going to be coming out soon. Actually, it may have very by, soon. By the time this episode airs, I think it might actually already be out, which is pretty all crazy. Right. So all the underdog heads will be uh, rediscover, <laughs> or I guess discovering for the first time. Go check yourself. The uh, the underdog dog pound. I don't know exactly what the the fan group of American underdogs are Un- called. Underdog pack. How about that? Sure, that sounds good. Um, so the wild underdogs. This was your second time watching this finale, right? Yes. This is my second, second time watching time, it. And I'd say, when did we... We've been on the air for two years? Is that how long Go Check Yourself has been around? It feels like an eternal event. Uh, we've been around for three years, but... Wow! I, I know we had an episode celebrating this. I'm sorry. I'm just so affected by the finale. Yeah, so I pretty much saw this episode... Right before we started recording for the first time, so like a little over three years ago, um, and this was my second time seeing it, a lot of things I remembered about it, um, particularly Rivers and Roads, a lot of things I didn't remember about it, particularly the Jeffster performance, I knew one had to come because it's the finale, but I didn't remember what song it was. Yeah, I think I knew about the Jeffster performance because when I was looking into Jeffster performances for an earlier episode which maybe because i thought it was the final jester performance and then i saw that they actually had one last one in the finale Mm -hmm. so i i knew that that was coming i didn't remember most of it i guess i vaguely as it will i mean we'll talk about it later i 
I my memory of this episode was not as good as I thought it was, which I think was a pleasant surprise ultimately <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, so I haven't seen this episode and I watched it when it aired and then that was it. And so that was that was a long time ago. Um, that very long time ago. Yeah. Um, my biggest sense going into this of what I remembered other than like the rivers and roads and like the one magical kiss element was that I was weirded out watching the final season three years ago initially um, that the like big bad that they finally end up on is Quinn and he's like the one in the finale. Mm -hmm. I think I had expected going into the final season that either there would be like like Shaw would come back or there would be like some some kind of like overarching like even if it was Decker who I hated I'm glad he's gone but like I thought that the villain of the final season would be like someone who was there for more than a couple episodes um but they really stuck with quinn he's the big bad in this episode he's uh pretty pretty serious they got to defeat him and then they also got to defeat like i don't know if defeat's the right word but they got to address sarah's memory and chuck and sarah's relationship and all these things it's it's kind of an exciting premise for a final episode based on the decisions that they have made throughout season five I would agree with that, and I think we should get right into it because there's a lot to cover. So let's, uh, I guess we're starting off in the air this week. We're, we're starting off in the air. Just a quick recap. You may remember we're coming into this episode in a rather dark place. Not only has Sarah lost her memories, but she has decided to effectively end things between her and Chuck and go off on her own to find herself and find Quinn. We start this episode with a title card reading two weeks later. Quinn and a man named Edgar are meeting on a private jet, which is not unlike sitting in first class, I hear, to discuss something called The Key. Apparently, Edgar used to work for Fulcrum, and Ted Rourke, aka old Chevy Chase himself, bequeathed said key to Edgar. It's a three-part like device code thing that can only be used in conjunction with an intersect. Quinn says he's going to use it to rebuild his glitchy version of the intersect, but he asked Edgar to keep that to himself since Quinn has a lot of enemies. Can I have a uh, really weird flex right now that I feel yeah, compelled to share? Let's do Did it. Did you recognize this guy? Edgar? Well, I think his name is Hector. Well, my my subtitle said Edgar, but... Um, okay, fine. That's, that's weird. <laughs> I recognized him. I got like kind of a like familiar feeling when I saw him, but I don't... Uh, I didn't look up who he was. That's because he was in the episode Chuck versus the Fat Lady. Oh! He was and the, his name was Hector. Or I, I think so. That's what IMDb says. Maybe it's Edgar. I don't. Okay. I, IMDb has Hector, but I recognized him and I was like looking at him and I was like, you know what? I think you were on Chuck before. I think you were the guy that was in the opera house. And I think uh, what's her face was there. Jill was there, I believe. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, I think this I was like, what was that episode? And I was like, that's Chuck versus the fat lady. And so I wrote that down and then I double checked and confirmed and I was right. That's a really good memory. I'm really impressed with that. Super, super excited to start off the episode with my feeling good about yourself. my actual Chuck intersect in my head <laughs> flashing. So speaking of enemies that are out to get Quinn, one Sarah Walker is currently unzipping herself from a carry on bag in the baggage area. She sneaks out as Edgar tells Quinn that someone from the ring has the next piece of the key, adding, the ring, what amateurs? And honestly, I'm, I'm going to say here, whether his name is Edgar or Hector, 
kind of liked his vibe. I, I don't remember liking him in Chuck versus the Fat Lady, but uh, he was he was kind of fun here. I thought it was interesting that they brought him back. Yeah, um, I I like that. Um, is the well, well, we'll get to the other guy, but was he also a recurring character or was he a first timer? Did you look him up too? Oh, uh, Quinn, he's been on the episode of no, the not, show not a few Quinn. times. No, not Quinn. Rennie, don't stupid. Oh, I, I did not recognize him. Okay. I will look well, you into look it. him up. We can talk about it uh, when we get to him. But Sarah makes her way out into the passenger area with her gun drawn, but Quinn either sees her or senses her via his psychic mind powers because he grabs Edgar's gun to point at Sarah, and Edgar hits a button that makes the plane, like, go all weird. Honestly, if I were his pilot, I would probably advise against using that button. It seems kind of dangerous for a passenger to have access to that. Anyway, Sarah misses due to turbulence and drops her gun. Quinn goads her into trying to recover the gun so she can shoot him, but instead she throws a grenade at the door and it rips a hole in the side of the plane. Oh no! Everybody's holding on for dear life. A gust of wind hits Sarah and makes her hit her head, so she accidentally lets go of her seat and is sucked out and falls towards the ocean. Meanwhile, Chuck is living a charmed life where his wake-up alarm goes off at 11 a.m. He wakes up and Morgan is in bed next to him, which, that's right, folks. Here in Season 5, Chuck and Morgan finally admit that their codependent relationship was based on mutual romantic and sexual attraction, and in Sarah's absence, Chuck sought comfort in the arms of his friend. Wow, you really read a lot more into that scene than I did. (laughs) I really wish that was what was happening, but no, Morgan is just there, along with Ellie, Devin, and baby Clara, to tell Chuck it's time to get out of bed and get Sarah back. Can I just say that I was personally offended by this scene because as someone who woke up at 12 o'clock today after snoozing my alarm for an hour and then ultimately going in and changing the alarm time to (laughs) two hours later to 12 o'clock, uh... In fact, I probably would have slept later if I didn't have to get up and watch this episode of Chuck (laughs) (laughs) to then be accosted. But like, they're like, Chuck, it's 11 o'clock. What are you still doing in bed? It's so late. I'm like, wow, this is a real wake up call for me. A little wake up call. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you you suck. I woke up today at 8 a.m. Said I'm ready to watch some Chuck. I that. Sends shivers down my spine. (laughs) Uh, Also having shivers sent down his spine, or maybe more like despondent waves, Chuck tells his loved ones that he's effectively back where he was before, alone in Burbank. But his loved ones insist that he's not the person he was five years ago. To further convince Chuck, Ellie says that emotions and feelings are powerful things, and maybe Chuck can spark some of those in Sarah if he just finds her. While all this is happening, we have an intricate scene of Sarah waking up while falling through the sky and triggering her parachute. Meanwhile, Chuck is convinced. He took down the ring and fulcrum so he can surely handle one last mission. Also, we see Sarah walking out of the ocean in a cat suit, and a lot of people, most of whom are women, I noted, <laughs> um, check her out. And that was, I mean, that's pretty progressive. That's cool. It was just, like, not usually what they do. Usually it's men, and this time, like, this beach seemed to only have women, and they were all looking at Sarah. Unfortunately, after this, we learn that the credits are gone again, and we will not be able to spend our final Chuck episode with Cake, but we have to put away our disappointment because the next scene has Beckman, and she deserves our fucking respect. In some sort of government office, Beckman tells Casey his target is Quinn. Although Casey has changed and potentially even gone soft during his time in Burbank, Beckman needs the old Casey. So I wanted to ask you, is this 
the same scene that you referenced that was a declassified scene, or is it different? Because I know it was a very similar conversation between Casey and Beckman. Oh, it's a different scene. Okay. The declassified scene from last week was Casey was in his apartment, Beckman was on the TV. This time it looks like they're both in Beckman's office. Okay. So they kind of just grabbed the same uh, dialogue, but maybe it was just like reiterating. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to prove that he is the old Casey, Casey ignores a call from his daughter Alex in the middle of all of this. Also, his phone background is an American flag. In Ellie's living room, Chuck goes over his amorous mission with his family plus Morgan. Ellie advises Chuck to just be himself because that worked the first time, while Morgan encourages Chuck to engage in one magical kiss with Sarah, which will surely fix everything. Before he can do either of those things, Chuck first needs to find Sarah, so he enlists Jeff and Lester, who insist they can find a woman off the remnants of an Outback Bloomin' Onion. They call upon their stalking brigade, which includes Jesse Hyman and Skip Johnson, aka Dirty Dog, as well as several other green shirts. They're able to find Sarah instantly, but mostly because she's currently at the Bymore, wearing a very similar outfit to the one she first shows up in. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I, I was thinking that the outfit looked very similar to mm-hmm. what she wore the first time. Did it? I don't know. I don't necessarily know how to feel about like the fact that they gave the extras lines. These people who have never had speaking lines in Chuck ever. Yeah, they give them lines, but they don't actually have them in the scene like they're on TVs. So they were like recorded ahead of time in front of a green screen by themselves. So it was like. We'll give you lines, but you can't actually talk to anyone. That is kind of weird. And I was yeah. like, I guess that if I was the director or producer, you're like, that seems like a fair compromise. But it also seems kind of patronizing to yeah. these people who have worked on the show for five years. I remember this being a big deal when I first watched this episode. And I remember Jesse talking about being allowed to speak for the first time. Mm. Um, but I didn't think about it today watching it. Um, that's absolutely a good point. It's also kind of like they're all talking over each other. So like they are technically talking, but like you don't really other than Jesse Hyman's line, you don't really hear um, like individual things that they're saying. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that they would give the non-speaking extras lines, but I guess I wish that they went around it a little bit differently. Yeah. I agree. It's also like, I mean, it's it's in line with Jeff and Lester's characters, but it is like they're they're stalking a woman. They're stalking women mm-hmm. and implying that they do this a lot, which is like, again, in line with the characters, but kind of a bummer for like their one lines to be around, like committing <laughs> a crime. Right. And, and like also at this point, Jeff and Lester are kind of having a little bit of a redemption arc yeah. where they're becoming heroes. And then they yeah. immediately go into this and you're like, oh, I don't feel good about this. Mm, yeah. So there's a fairly dramatic romantic moment as Chuck and Sarah see each other for the first time in two weeks. You can tell because the Titanic seems to be playing on the TVs behind them. I don't know if it's like the James Cameron Titanic or if it is just footage of the Titanic, but it that seems to be what's on the TVs. Chuck asks Sarah what she's doing there, and she tells him she just needs access to Castle, which is a little awkward. Sarah knows from Chuck's profile that he's good with computers, so she asks him to help her find Rennie Deutsch, the man with the next part of the key. While Chuck's doing this, Sarah looks around. Morgan comes up behind her to say hi, and she's surprised and strangles him. She promptly apologizes, and he takes the moment to tell her that even if she can't remember her and Chuck's relationship, he was happy when she became a part of Chuck's life. Just then, Chuck 
hacks his way into finding out where Rennie is. Uh, I don't really know how he does that, but he finds out that Rennie is in Berlin and Quinn won't be far behind. Sarah makes to head out and Chuck asks her what her plan is. Sarah says she can't be in Burbank, can't be the woman Chuck remembers, so she's just going to kill Quinn then disappear forever. Chuck asks if he can help. Sarah points out that he doesn't have the intersect anymore, but he insists he's been trained, and she's the one who trained him. She asks if he can use a huge gun, and he says, sure. Once they're in Berlin, though, Chuck is worried about using said gun. Morgan encourages him not to, since Sarah fell in love with him for not shooting people. With this in mind, Chuck and Sarah head into the place where Rennie is, and it turns out it looks like the Mexican restaurant El Compadre, where they went for their first date. I guess that's nice, although I don't I don't know if you remember, like, if this scene is so distinct for you. Um, I don't really have a strong relationship with El Compadre. I didn't really recognize it. I'm sure it was nice. I didn't recognize it immediately. I at first thought that they meant that it was referring to a place that the audience, like we, the viewer, did not see. That it was okay. like a special place for them. Okay. But then I was like... Thinking, I'm like, did they? What did they do on their first date? And then, as I thought about it during the scene, I was like, okay, they were. They did go to a Mexican restaurant before they went to the Rock Club or whatever. Yeah, the Rock Club is more distinct in my mind. Yeah, which like I don't know. I I think they could have gone to a German Rock Club, but you know that's not the vibe they went for. That's fine. My next note just says Casey is up in the sky, which I think is meant to indicate that Casey is with his new government issue team hovering over the restaurant in a helicopter, ready to take Quinn out. Down in the restaurant, Chuck tells Sarah it's fate that they're there and makes Sarah very uncomfortable by recounting their first date and how sexy she was. Sarah points out that they're on a mission and overcomes. Morgan tells Chuck to just make this mission as romantic as he can, so Sarah falls in love with him all over again. Just then, Rennie and co. decide to leave the restaurant and meet their associate, apparently Quinn, somewhere else, and Sarah and Chuck follow them to a black tie party, just like in Chuck vs. the Tango. Morgan encourages Chuck to grab Sarah and plant one on her, but instead, Chuck suggests that they do a little dance. They tango their way closer to Rennie and overhear him say that Quinn is once again requesting they change the meeting place, so they're heading out again. So do you think, is it, because the, so the Mexican restaurant is a reference to you know, the first ever episode of Chuck, Chuck versus yeah. the intersect. Mm-hmm. And then we could have a case made that the, the black tie formal event is referenced to Chuck versus the tango. Do you think the helicopter that case is in is a reference to Chuck versus the helicopter episode two? Oh my God. I didn't think about that, but absolutely. I a hundred percent think that's what's going on. Cause there's really no reason, other reason for him to be in a helicopter. And it as- does like end up like crashing into the ground. Mm. So yeah, I think Yes. So as Aaron said, uh, Rennie is going to be moving again to what I'm assuming is going to be another season one inspired spot. (laughs) And I am so excited to have the ability to share with you that they go to a Wienerlicious. Hell yeah. That's right. The Wienerlicious is back and it makes sense that it's in Germany. Rennie orders one Wienerlicious special and the server walks out back to place the order where she is somehow incapacitated by Chuck and Sarah. We're not really sure. Like, I hope they didn't, like, hurt her or anything. But <laughs> yeah. they there seems to be the sound effect of some kind of... Uh, Altercation. Yeah. And then they walk out dressed in Wienerlicious uniforms. Um, so Sarah's wearing her, you know, old Wienerlicious clothes. And Chuck feels a bit nostalgic about that. But it doesn't tell Sarah. Chuck is dressed like Scooter, uh, which was a nice touch for us. Yeah, he looks great. 
Sarah realizes that they need to wait for Quinn to arrive. So just she decides that they need to look busy and she starts rearranging the items on the counter. Chuck asks why she's doing that. And she says, because they're not in the right order. Chuck is amazed that Sarah remembers the Wienerlicious somehow and the Wienerlicious like operating procedures. But Sarah insists that she doesn't remember it completely. And Chuck tries to jog her memory. That is until Quinn enters. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you here, but I do want to point out that upon entering the Wienerlicious, Sarah comments to Chuck, this place is disgusting, which I was I was actually hurt by because like. I know she doesn't remember, but this is her own establishment that she owns and that she like put her blood and sweat into. And the fact that she would then like just disparage it so completely is like kind of the most heartbreaking part of this arc. Well, she was a franchisee, probably of Wienerlicious. So mm-hmm. her location, she ran it. Maybe she just meant that this location was disgusting. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So just trying to, I'm just trying to keep you up. Thank trying you, to keep yeah. Your I, up. I feel a lot better now thinking okay. of it like that. Good. Uh, Quinn's men point their guns at Chuck and Sarah as Quinn inquires uh, about Rennie's piece of the key. Rennie hands it over to Quinn, who looks it over and decides that it's good enough and then shoots Rennie and his assistant right on the spot. Chuck and Sarah take out their guns, but then one of Quinn's men enters with Morgan Chuck lowers his gun and tells Sarah to do the same, even though she's reluctant. Chuck takes her gun from her and drops it on the floor. Quinn cocks his gun and points it at Chuck's head and tells Sarah that her husband is one of the world's greatest cowards. <laughs> Doesn't say cowards. He says something a little bit more off color. Oh, oh I forgot. Yeah, I, I wrote that one out of my head. But yeah, he does. Sarah quickly grabs one of the wooden skewers that are in a jar behind her and launches it at Quinn's hand, which makes it the second time. Oh, I wrote that down, too. That Sarah has disarmed Quinn by using a spear like utensil in an international dining situation. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a nice callback, I guess. I feel like Quinn should kind of see this coming at this point. Right. He would be like, I'm not going to meet anyone in any situation (laughs) where there's any kind of like international cuisine, especially not one where there's going to be chopsticks or potentially like corn dog skewers. But (laughs) Sarah's got her thing. She knows what works. She does. Quinn bolts out of the room with the skewer in his hand and the rest of his men attack Team Bartowski. Sarah tells Chuck to follow Quinn while she and Morgan take care of the rest of the henchmen. Follow Quinn. He does. Chuck manages to catch up to Quinn relatively quickly. And creates quite a scene in downtown Berlin since he's dressed in a Wienerlicious uniform and carrying a Desert Eagle pistol. (laughs) Sarah runs after him and tells him to shoot Quinn, but Chuck just can't do it. Instead, he fires a warning shot into the air and, wouldn't you know, it manages to hit the helicopter that Casey and his new friends are riding in. Chuck, Sarah, and Morgan look up in horror as Casey's helicopter makes an emergency landing in the middle of the busy city street. Casey steps out of the helicopter and immediately recognizes the Desert Eagle as his own and says, You shot down my helicopter with my own gun. There's an awkward silence as we fade to black. When we return, we see Casey strapping Morgan to a chair in Castle. He tells Morgan that he needs him to tell Alex that he's going to be going away for a while. Morgan can't believe this and asks Casey why he's arresting his own team. And Casey corrects him by saying that Team Bartowski is his old team. Ooh. Ouch. I feel like Casey has done this so many times where he gets recruited to a new team and then is like, Team Bartowski's my old team. Then he always keeps, comes back to Team Bartowski. Yeah, so like Quinn, with the uh, wooden implements that Sarah's going to stab him with, everybody should know that Casey's going to do this and it's going to be fine. Everybody's just like, you know, Charlie Brown with the football in this episode, I guess. Speaking of, is there a Charlie Brown next to your head? What, what is that picture? I think we've talked about this before, but if you look what? to your right, 
Right. Look, look to your right. What's that framed picture? Is that Charlie Brown? Oh, yeah. There's actually <laughs> uh, this is weird. Uh, there is Charlie Brown. And then there's also a literal football yeah. behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. Here, here at uh, the end of uh, season five, we are uh, bringing everything full circle, especially a sentence you said less than a minute ago. I was so irrationally angry when you said that. You're like, is there a Charlie Brown next to your head? <laughs> you I was were like, really mad. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> There's nothing near my head. I'm like, oh, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> so meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah are in two holding cells on the opposite sides of a singular wall. Sarah berates Chuck for not killing Quinn when he had the chance and questions how Chuck can even call himself a real spy. Chuck says that he's always had a no killing policy and it was actually one of the things about him that she first found endearing. Morgan continues to press Casey about why he's ignoring all of Alex's phone calls. Casey explains that there's a reason they call them covert missions, and Morgan contends that he should make an exception for his own daughter. Casey says that he can't. He has to be ruthless for the mission. Chuck continues to say to Sarah that um, she was the one who trained him in the first place on how to be a spy, and that she encouraged him to stay true to himself and to not change. While Morgan holds Casey to task, he says that he's disappointed in Casey for turning his back on Chuck and Sarah, And Casey says that Morgan just doesn't understand. He got soft in Burbank and he can't be soft. Once again, feel like that's something that has happened multiple times with Casey. So this Mm -hmm. is just a reoccurring insecurity for him, which is fine. Uh, Morgan adds that if Casey wants to take down Quinn, he knows deep down that Team Bartowski is the only team that can do it. And that Casey is just shutting down because he's afraid that deep down he knows that he's at his actual best as a spy when he's with Team Bartowski. This convinces Casey and Casey says, screw it, I'm in. He calls off the court martial, which he apparently had on Chuck and Sarah, and frees them from their holding cells. Chuck is surprised to be let go, and Casey explains that they're going to help him find Quinn. When they go to Sarah's cell, they see her trying to sneak into the air ducts um, through that really ill-advised emergency hatch <laughs> that is in the holding cell. I'm pretty sure the Stone Cold Steve Austin tried to use this a while back, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. In that episode, when they're all in Castle, there was this, you know, emergency hatch made an appearance. And, you know, I appreciated that they were maybe going to get us one last, you know, moment with the air ducts. But would have been nice. We don't get that closure, unfortunately. Chuck says, you're trying to escape without me. And Sarah's like, "Uh, yeah. She says that she's better off trying to find Quinn by herself, even though last time she attempted it, she was literally thrown out of an airplane. (laughs) Sarah announces that she's leaving and Chuck says, no, you're not. She asks, why not? And Chuck says, because of my mom. She's also a spy and she happens to be standing behind you with a gun. (gasps) Linda Hamilton. Sure enough, Linda Hamilton as Mary Bartowski herself is right there in Castle, gun drawn at Sarah. I'm excited to see her. She's got her gun drawn at Sarah. You know, mother's-in-law, am I right? (laughs) Mother-in-laws? Mother's-in-law. I think it's mother's-in-law. Mother's-in-law sounds like a police force or something. Mother-in-laws. It's the sequel to the 355. I don't know if you've seen trailers for that, but it's the new uh, female spy movie. <laughs> the I guess people don't. Well, I guess people might have multiple mother-in-laws, but I guess most people only have one. Uh, Ellie and Devin are also here. Baby Claire is strapped to Devin. They tell Chuck that they called Mary in for backup and are horrified to see the gun pointed at Sarah. Mary apologizes, puts her gun down, and then coddles baby Clara. She then adds that she has intel on the MacGuffin. Sorry, I mean the key. (laughs) And asks if Sarah would like to stick around to hear it. 
I kind of like her vibe. I know we've we've been kind of lukewarm on Linda Hamilton in the past, um, but I kind of thought it was cute that like she like old habits die hard. She pulled her gun, and then they were like, "Not in front of baby Clara." Like I don't know. She was she was kind of having fun in this episode. I think this was like the right, the exact level of Linda Hamilton dosage that we need in the I episode. Agree. It's yeah. not too much. It's not too little. It's just right. Uh, in the conference room, Mary informs the extended team Bartowski that Steven originally developed the intersect as a training tool and created a matrix key that could be used to modify the intersect itself. Apparently, Ted Rourke, Harley Winterbottom, a.k.a. Volkov, and Steven broke this key into three pieces so that none of them could alter the intersect unless all three of them were in agreement. Rourke and Volkov's pieces have already been acquired by Quinn, but Steven's is still out there. Mary knows that Stephen gave it to someone in the government, but she doesn't know who. Casey points out that with the key, Quinn would be able to fix the intersect so it doesn't melt brains or remove memories. And Mary adds that he'd also be able to update the intersect himself and add new skills and abilities as he saw fit. This gives Ellie a spark of inspiration, and she immediately pulls Chuck up to the home theater room to talk to him in private. It's really kind of a meeting ender, you know, like Chuck's kind of a key figure in this meeting yeah, yep. to pull him out of it kind of really grinds things to a halt but yeah ellie doesn't, care. She doesn't care about that ellie being the neuroscientist that she is tells chuck that if they had the key they could use it to create a version of the intersect that could restore sarah's former personality they could fill it in with like artifacts and mementos from chuck and sarah's life together and that could potentially fix sarah's memory chuck not too perturbed by the many ethical ramifications <laughs> yeah, of this. Okay. <laughs> is a, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Is immediately on board. And Ellie tells him that they just need the intersect glasses back from Quinn. Although, doesn't Quinn have the glasses and two out of the three pieces of the key? Or did they get the key back from him in Berlin? Uh no, I think he has them. Yeah, he has he has everything. Ellie's just not clear. I'll, we'll give her a pass. She hasn't been, she didn't yeah. go to Berlin. She doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> um, but she does just want to uh, basically give Sarah a lobotomy, kind of. Yeah. But like a good lobotomy, a positive lobotomy. I mean, Sarah's into it when she finds out about it later. So I guess they get a pass. <laughs> but it is kind of like, I don't know. It seems it seems kind of ethically weird to like program your girlfriend to remember that she loves you. Like, <laughs> How I don't even know how that works. It's not like it's not like it's feelings. It's just like facts. It's like Chuck flashing on like whatever schematics. It would just be like schematics of their relationship. It's weird. It's not romantic. Deeply, deeply disturbing. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, this conversation gets shut down pretty early because Casey calls Chuck to let him know that they've tracked Quinn to the Pacific Concert Hall where Beckman is meeting with her Chinese counterpart. Casey points out that Steven did give his piece to the of the key to someone in the government. Maybe it's Beckman. Chuck and Ellie hurry out just as quickly as they hurried in. And by that, I mean, they they went into the home theater room so quickly that they didn't double check to make sure they were alone. Jeff and Lester pop out from behind the couch and say the Pacific Concert Hall. They need our help. At the concert hall, the orchestral performance is in full swing. Beckman is seated with her Chinese companion in two giant white armchairs in the middle of the audience. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the safest place to put two, like, very important military figures. Like, No, probably not. They should have had, like, their own box or something. <laughs> it's not like, you know, if one of them or both of them, you know, died or were attacked, it, like, only would start World War III. Like, the stakes aren't that high. You know, it's yeah, only no, don't worry about the United it. States and China. 
Anyhow, Quinn approaches Beckman and politely politely tells her not to get up because the bomb under her seat is pressure sensitive. Beckman looks under her seat and indeed sees a very complex looking explosive device. Beckman is shocked and Quinn explains that the person who oversaw the Intersect project was carrying around the final piece of it the entire time and she didn't even know it. He removes one of her many military badges and I'm like, whoa, dude, get your hands off of Beckman. Absolutely not. Not okay. But he uh, he like uncaps a lid from it and it reveals to be like a little tiny mini flash drive, I guess. And just then Beckman's phone rings with a call from Chuck. Quinn answers it. And when Chuck tells Beckman that they think she's in danger, Quinn says she's in more danger than, you know, and then adds it's over, Chuck. I win. That's a pretty good Quinn. It's my first time out and I will have to retire it very soon. (laughs) It was good, though. Thank you. We cut to black, and when we return, Team Bartowski is entering the concert hall and immediately sees Beckman because, once again, she's incredibly conspicuous. In fact, <laughs> they probably should have just taped a sign to her back that says, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> they hurry to her side, and she tells them about the bomb that's under her seat. Chuck takes a look at it and notices that there's also a sonic detonator on it that will detonate once the music stops. Per Casey's orders, Morgan evacuates the Chinese delegation. Um, could have... Could have used a little scene of Morgan and, you know, dealing with these Chinese foreign dignitaries. I think that could have been uh, interesting, if not totally unnecessary. Beckman tells them to evacuate everyone. But Casey points out that if the music stops, the bomb will go off. Beckman wants to sacrifice herself. But Casey tells her to shut up. As this is happening, Chuck takes out the bomb to get a better look at it. Mary and Ellie are back in Castle and Paige the team to tell them that they've hacked into the venue's security feed. And they've seen Quinn escaping towards the roof. Sarah runs out to go get Quinn and Chuck realizes that he needs to go after her because they need Quinn to disarm the bomb and he needs the glasses to restore Sarah's memory. So Chuck runs away, leaving Casey by himself, He flags Morgan over and tells him that they need to find a way to keep the music going. And they're both like, how are we going to do that? When Jeff and Lester appear and ask who they could shoot, this gives Morgan an idea. He says, I have a plan, Casey. You're not going to like it, but I have a plan. Up on the rooftop with old St. Nick. <laughs> That's where Sarah and Chuck are. He is named Nicholas Quinn, so that's appropriate. They tell him to disarm the bomb, but he explains that the bomb can't be stopped and will detonate when the music stops, which should be happening any moment now. The tension is very thick as the orchestra winds down, and right before the audio levels drop to zero, they pick back up again as we hear the opening bars of the 80s classic Take On Me by AHA. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce the final performance of Jeffster. Jeff and Lester walk out onto the stage and all the actual musicians are very confused. Beckman and Casey watch on from the audience as Casey says bluntly, we're doomed. The rest of the audience seems to be enjoying the special encore, though, which is good. Uh, Morgan eventually walks out onto the stage and shoes the conductor way to take over the orchestra himself like he's Bugs Bunny or something. (laughs) I don't think I'm pretty sure conducting is harder than just waving the thing around. Mm, you know, I think there's a, know. I think there's no a science one, no to it. No one can prove that. I mean, one of my friends has experience doing this and he says that he has to do certain things. Is the uh, is the motion where you hold it above your head and then just wave it around like Morgan does? Is that a real conducting? <laughs> that one? Probably not. Uh <laughs> think you just have to like look like you're trying to cast a spell in harry potter or something you yeah know? okay like you're Swish gonna be flick, like of course you know like wingardium leviosa i haven't said a harry potter thing in a long time that was it was weird it felt weird <laughs> well back to chuck uh we're back on the rooftop quinn bemoans 
that he's been doing this for too long and that it all ends tonight. Sarah says that they're going to kill him and Quinn says that they'll all die together. And as Quinn reaches for his gun, Sarah shoots him in the chest. And once you know, Quinn falls to the floor and the intersect glasses fall out of his breast pocket. Chuck runs over to them and is despondent. And Sarah's like, what's your problem? And Chuck explains his plan to restore her memories using the glasses. The dilemma, though, is that the glasses only have one upload left. And they can use they can either use it to restore Sarah's memories or they can use it to give Chuck the intersect so that he can flash and figure out how to disarm the bomb. Chuck tells Sarah that he's sorry, but he can't give her her memories back. He has to save everyone instead. So he puts on the glasses and uploads the intersect one last time. One last time. I'm going to upload the intersect one last time. Now we're going to teach them Chuck versus the goodbye. This is my Hamilton parody. You seem like you're enjoying it a lot. I, cu- I couldn't tell what you were referencing. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I understand now. Um, my problem with this whole scene is that, so they're on the roof of the concert venue. Is that click, correct? Click, click, click. And so, like, Quinn at one point is like, the bomb should be going off now, but he's still on the roof. Like, if the building blew up, wouldn't it, like, at least, like, fall, like, a couple levels? Like, wouldn't that affect Quinn still? Yeah, probably. They're probably all still in jeopardy on the roof, yeah. right? Like they I would, was I was just a little confused about that <laughs> one. Not, even if he has all the pieces, he's still gonna die before yeah. he can use the intersect. Yeah. Um with that's that's not a concern anymore because he is dead and they have uh an epic orchestral version of Take On Me going as Chuck and Sarah run into the concert hall to disarm the bomb. Honestly, I found this sequence fairly effective and I thought the arrangement of Take On Me was pretty nice. Chuck flashes on the bomb and is able to break inside it to a laptop that's inside it. I don't really know how bombs work. I don't know if that's normal, but it has happened on the show before because when Chuck is unsure how to shut that laptop down, Sarah suggests they try the Irene Demova virus. Chuck points out that she's remembered something else from five years ago, then types Irene's website in. And food is sexy and anything's possible, baby, because the bomb is disarmed and Jeffster ends their performance in a moment of triumph. Everyone cheers and hugs, except Chuck and Sarah, who do not. I think Sarah is a little disappointed about the intersect glasses being unusable. Later, Beckman debriefs the team and thanks them for their work. It's actually a bittersweet goodbye because Sarah is now going off to find herself for real, as is Casey. Beckman tells them if they ever want to save the world again, they know where she is. And she has this coy little smile that makes me love her so much. I wish she got a spinoff series. Once she's gone, Casey decides to head out too because he knows Chuck's about to get emotional. He says he'll see Chuck when he sees him, which, like, I think they're still neighbors. So that might be, like, sooner than he intends it to mean. (laughs) Casey hugs Chuck and walks out in slow-mo. Once he's gone, Sarah tells Chuck she needs time to think and to be alone. Chuck starts to bring up the magical kiss idea, but stops himself because he realizes that Sarah does actually need to go. She leaves and Chuck is sad, again with his wide-legged stance, just looking despondent. You just keep looking at Chuck's legs. Yeah, I don't know. He's just always, whenever he's sad, that's how he stands. Huh. I guess I haven't really paid attention to that. Did you pick up on the homage to your boyfriend? In the scene between Chuck and Casey saying goodbye. Not your literal boyfriend, but your Chuck boyfriend slash father husband. Shaw? No, your other father husband. Volkov? Yeah. No, I didn't. Oh, because he said that Russians give good hugs? Yeah, because he hugs him like Volkov would hug him, which was like the big bear hug kind of thing. 
I would love to be hugged by my father husband. I'm gonna say that one. Uh, ups- upstairs, Jeff and Lester are in the process of telling Big Mike about the concert, Chuck's double life, and their role in saving the free world. Big Mike is holding a subway cup and doesn't believe them in the slightest. He reveals that the Bymore has been bought by Subway. It's kind of nice to see these companies expanding their holdings. It would have kind of have been interesting if Subway had bought a big box electronics store. <laughs> it is it's so pathetic that it didn't occur to me until this very scene that I was like, oh, the subway colors are the same as the buy more colors. Yeah, I I didn't think of it either. <laughs> it's also like it's kind of meta because like Subway did kind of buy the buy more. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. As all this is happening, a very German record exec comes in to steal Jeffster away. Lester at first cries at the prospect of leaving the store. And I was like a little upset thinking that he was going to decide to stay. But then he and Jeff head off to Germany to be stars beloved by men and women. I was I'm a little concerned because I don't trust this guy. Like I'm afraid <laughs> that he's gonna murder Jeff and Lester yeah, as soon as they get That's kind of his vibe, because they're like, right now, and he's like, yes, right now. Come with me. What's this episode's fascination with Germany? Like there was I don't in know. Berlin. And I, and now I really this. thought they were gonna make a Hasselhoff reference when he was like beloved by men and women. I thought they were gonna be like, like the Hoff, but they don't. I don't uh, know why. That'd be such a good joke. Yeah. I should write for Chuck. <laughs> uh, also, during the scene, there's an Old West thing on the TV, which I guess is like in Old West movies, people say goodbye. Riding off into the sunset, maybe? Yeah. What, like, the, I mean, that's not what's happening in the scene, but yes, that's probably the vibe. Well, Jeff and Lester are riding off into the figurative sunset, right? Yeah. To get murdered by a, ger- a fake German record producer. <laughs> Continuing our thread of people moving on with their lives, Alex and Morgan reveal to Casey that they're moving in together. Casey offers them the place that he's been sharing with Morgan, which is convenient because now Morgan won't have to actually move any of his stuff. Casey, meanwhile, is going off after Gertrude, who's not in this episode, which is actually kind of a bummer. I kind of thought we would see her, but we don't. But Casey's going to go find her. Also, Ellie and Devin have decided to move to Chicago to take up the uh, job offers they received by mail. (laughs) Ellie is sad that she's leaving Chuck in his current state, but Chuck encourages her to go because she's taken care of him for far too long. And I say, damn right. Well, yeah, I mean, I I support it, but also it's like Ellie wants to look out for Chuck and he's ostensibly at his most vulnerable and sad at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, yeah. Basically got divorced. But he, yeah. she's like, you're good now, right? You're like, you're fine. You can, you got, you can, you, you're good. Yeah, you're fine. You've had, you've had a lot of life experience the past five years. Remember those, that job offer that we got the past, like the last episode or the one before it? Like <laughs> we didn't talk about it earlier, but we're definitely doing it. Yeah, we're definitely doing it right now. Later, Chuck and Morgan talk it out in the courtyard. Morgan is still encouraging Chuck to find Sarah. So he asks him to use his heart and figure out where she would have gone. So Chuck goes to the beach. Not just any beach, the beach, mm. which is Malibu in the show, but San Pedro in real life. And wouldn't you know it, Sarah is sitting there. Chuck sits down next to her and she comments, this place is important, isn't it? Chuck explains that this is where she told him that everything was going to be OK and asks him to trust her. He tells her, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know that wherever you go, I'll always be there to help you. Trust me, Sarah. I'm here for you always. And even though Sarah doesn't really remember him, everybody's pretty tearful. And it's a pretty emotional moment. The emotion is heightened when uh, Rivers and Roads by the Head and the Heart starts to play, which again is something that I distinctly remember 
I knew this song when I watched this episode for the first time. I did not learn it from Chuck, like many of my other beloved Frightened Rabbits and things. I knew this song. Mm -hmm. And I think that only kind of doubles the emotional impact. So Sarah asked Chuck to tell her their story while this is playing. And we get kind of like a montage clip show of like all our favorite moments in their relationship. Uh, We could talk later about whether this is effective or cheesy, but it is kind of nice to see like how young they were in earlier seasons when they got together, like their first kiss, their first meeting, dancing, all these all these moments that we've gotten homages to. Now we're seeing them in reality. When that's done, Chuck finally admits to Sarah the idea about the one magical kiss. He kind of blows it off as like a stupid idea until Sarah asks him to kiss her. They kiss and uh, I have two comments here. One is that I forced Seth to watch the last two minutes of this with me because I was like, you want to know how the show Chuck ends, even though you have not seen any other episodes of it. And he pointed out that it is not, in fact, one kiss. They do kiss three separate times, like they pull back, then go back in. (laughs) So it's actually three magical kisses. My idea for how this could have gone is that um, Sarah, like when they kiss, Sarah flashes, but it's flashing with her own memories of their relationship. And then she's like, oh, I know. And then like, what? Like she wouldn't say I know Kung Fu, but she would say like, I know our relationship or whatever. I thought it would be funny if she flashed, if that was how uh, she got her memory back. But no, we don't know for sure whether she gets her memory back. Things fade out as they kiss on the beach. And that's it. That's the end of Chuck. That's all, folks. <laughs> rivers and roads, rivers and roads. I thought Sarah was going to be like, no, this beach is important because this is the beach that I walked up earlier, like a couple of days ago when I fell out of the airplane and all the hot lesbians were looking at me. <laughs> I feel like this is kind of the path I want to go down now. But like, yeah, thanks for I being mean, my friend. I would support her on that. Chuck's like, oh, I thought you were here because you were like reflecting on our relationship and like our first day together. It's kind of interesting how, like, that was a big deal in, like, the first episode, and, like, maybe it came up, like, one other time, but, like, it's not like they go to that beach, like, for important moments, is it? Like, when when else has the beach appeared? I don't think they ever go to the beach necessarily, right? Because Chuck was like, yeah, I always come here to think, and then he never goes there to think again. We don't see it. Uh Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Like, it's important because it happened in the pilot. Wow. Chuck versus the goodbye. Chuck versus the goodbye. Adios, amigos. What's uh, what's German for goodbye? We should probably say that one. It's uh, a Wiedersehen, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I knew well, that. You should have said that. Sorry. I'm, I guess I'm just no good at this podcast. <laughs> it's time to throw in the towel. <laughs> I'm realizing now after watching every single episode of Chuck, maybe I, this just isn't a good fit for me. <laughs> Something that maybe is a good fit for you is your Mary... We're going to now play Chuck, Mary, Kill, where we name one thing we'd like to marry that we really loved about the episode and one thing that we hated and would like to kill, potentially with a uh, corndog skewer. Uh, well, I guess I would have to marry, you know, I really enjoyed all the callbacks to the first episode, you mm-hmm. know, especially the ones that tied into our very weird specific mythology that we've built surrounding the yeah. show. <laughs> you know, I can't believe that we got not only the Wienerlicious, but also Chuck dressed like Scooter and yeah. then also an appearance from Irene Demova, 
Yeah. Who says, I didn't, did she say anything is possible? She didn't say anything is possible because I think that was like what was written on the link of her website. I didn't see if it was written when Chuck goes to the website, but she does say food is sexy twice. Right. And that, this of course became my catchphrase. So, you know, I, I'm assuming this probably wasn't intentional on the part of the show, but I like to think that, you know, Fiedak and Schwartz were like, this one's for, for Aaron and Chris. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) What would you like to marry? And then get all your memories erased and forget and then kind of divorce and then kind of get back together. Um, I also wrote down the uh, callback to the Wienerlicious, particularly Chuck's uniform. I thought that the uh, reference to Scooter was very nice and I thought Chuck looked pretty good in the uniform. Um, I also wanted to give a special shout out. I was not really a fan of like the stalking club, but I did kind of like the idea that Jeff and Lester are able to find people based on the leavings of their blooming onions. That was just such a weird uh, <laughs> joke that um, I did highlight it because it, it stuck out to me. What would you like to kill? So I did not like Quinn as a villain. I think I've been pretty uh-huh. vocal about yeah. that, pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that he would have a more spectacular death since he's been such a pain in the ass. Because, you know, like you have we've had some pretty crazy deaths this season for villains. We had Decker who got blown (laughs) up blown up yep we have that guy from sarah's past who she stabbed slowly (laughs) through the back with a hunting knife Mm -hmm. um so the show is willing to go there this season but quinn he just gets shot in the chest and i think there's some merit to the fact that sarah's just like shoots him and it's it it's done and over with and that's efficient but i feel like it was kind of anticlimactic especially for like the final episode and I guess you could say that it's makes sense that it would we'd have an anticlimactic end to this character because he is in himself an anticlimax, I guess. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess it works in that sense, but I'm also left feeling somewhat taken aback that it wasn't over the top. I think that's fair. I would have settled with him getting thrown off the building or something. Like he was on the yeah, rooftop. He's like, Chuck, pull me up, and Chuck like lets him go, and it's like Chuck's first foray into like death and like you know, Sarah's impressed. Right. And I think that would have made sense because you have, we've seen uh, Quinn fall out of windows twice before That's and survive. True, yeah. If he falls to his death, it would be full circle. Correct. Third time, no yeah. one's, he's not getting saved. He's done. Or so. if Sarah had, like, what's another, like, eating implement that is made of wood that she could use to stab him? That could be, like, the final, um, I don't know, like a spatula or something. Like a, uh, Whatever you'd use, like a stick that you'd find at a campsite making s'mores. Oh yeah, or like a uh, like a shish kebab kind of kind of thing. Yep, uh-huh. that yeah, would be appropriate like too. If she offed him with a last one last utensil. Yeah, I would. I would like that. <laughs> so speaking of offing uh, things, yeah, I, it's this is this is kind of a tough one. I think we'll kind of get into it either with our scores or as we talk more about our feelings about this as a finale in general. I don't think that the plotline they chose to go with would have worked if Chuck just kind of like rolled over and took it that Sarah lost her memory. Um, I did appreciate the uh, final moment in Castle when he decides to let her go. But it's like, I think the way that Yvonne plays this is very good and very interesting that she plays like Sarah's discomfort. Like she's not just like being like, I mean, she's definitely not being coy, but she's also not really being like, 
I, she doesn't play that much the idea of like that Sarah wants to remember, but she doesn't. She kind of just plays discomfort, mm-hmm. which then seeing Chuck like persist in being like, no, but you can remember. No, but like, here's what happened. And Sarah continually asking him to please stop, please focus on the mission was just like a little bit of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know how the episode would have worked if like Chuck hadn't like pursued her and like gone after her at the end like that. Also probably would have been disappointing, but just the way that um, he keeps trying to like force her to remember and she keeps having to say like, please, I, I don't want to do that. I wish they'd either had her be like equally invested in the concept of getting her memory back from the beginning or that like the way Chuck went about it was different because um, it was just kind of like, I know it's not what they're going for, but it was kind of like off putting to have her continually saying like, no, I don't want to be with you. And Chuck being like, but. Mm-hmm. But maybe, yeah. So that's my that's my kill. I think it is a murky, murky subject, murky area. Yeah, and then and then you add in the uh, moral implications of like forcing these things into her brain that she didn't ask for. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, we're gonna be. We'll talk about it more. I'm sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, now we have the the. The Chuck Scooter scale. I I mean it this time because Chuck is dressed as Scooter. He he's is. Gu- he's guiding us through the final corn dogs of the show. We're handing them out. God, I so wish that Scooter had come back for this episode. Like instead of blowing their budget on Linda Hamilton, if they just got Scooter back, would have been amazing. <laughs> would have been a strange choice. Yeah. So I guess. You got you only got a few corn dogs left, Aaron. You got to use them wisely. So I got to use them. How how are you handing them out today? I don't think that this is a perfect episode, and I do think it merits a longer conversation. Like I said about um, how we feel about the final season and this arc um, as an end for the show, but. It's also really hard not to give this episode like a a decent number of corn dogs because mm-hmm. it is the finale and it is engaging and it is very emotional. So I'm going to go with 4. It's not a perfect score, um but it is higher than I've given the last couple of episodes, I think. I thought that there was some murky elements of this episode like I mentioned in my kill. But overall, it was effective. I think if you accept what they're trying to do with Sarah's lost memory and the callbacks and bringing back like moments from the first season and previous Chuck moments, I think that it is pretty effective. I liked the Jeffster performance, which is not something that I can say for all of their performances. (laughs) I um, liked the moment at the beach at the end. I'm kind of iffy on the montage i think that sometimes works in things and sometimes doesn't um haven't really decided how i feel about it but i thought that as a um it's impressive in a way like it it's not to this level but it does kind of make me think of like how i met your mother when they kind of bring things like completely full circle and it's like this happened in the pilot now it's happening in the finale like it's impressive that they like remember El Compadre and I mean they wrote it they created it of course they remember but it's like five seasons later you're seeing callbacks to these things you're getting like this it it feels kind of like fan service in a way that is kind of like nice that they're thinking of like 
It's not just, here's what happened in season five. We're going to call back to what happened at the beginning. They're calling back to everything. We're seeing flashbacks to everything. And it is kind of like, say what you will about um, whether or not they should have had Sarah lose her memory. For the fact that this is what the episode is, I think it is fairly effective. And I think it is a bold choice to have the ambiguity. Like, I think we can kind of assume that Sarah would eventually sort of remember based on the fact that she's already kind of remembering I don't know if the kiss is actually going to do it, but I think, like, it's the new beginning of their relationship. I think it is a bold choice for, like, a show like this that is, like, kind of lighter to have, like, an ambiguous ending where we don't know what's going to happen. And I always kind of admired that if I didn't completely like why they did it. Um, so I don't know, complicated feelings, but that's I, four corn dogs. I think you did a very nice job articulating all of that. <laughs> um, I also am in the same boat. I would like to give it four out of five corn dogs. Woo! Similar, like, I don't think it's perfect, but I do feel the need to kind of give it a little bit of benefit of the doubt, sort of with it being the last episode. I did enjoy, um, all the callbacks to the, the first episode. I thought that was nice. and. Um, you know, some of them were kind of really forced in there, like the Mexican restaurant in Berlin, yeah. Germany. I'm like, what? Yeah. But um, I think, you know, I'm glad that they brought Mary back. I thought that was cool. I, I thought it was cool that they tied everything back into, you know, the ring and Fulcrum and yeah. Ted Rourke and Volkov. You know, the key thing was kind of contrived of it being like, we got to get all the pieces of the thing. All these different people have the pieces of the thing. Um I too enjoyed the gesture performance, which is not something that I typically say, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad that the show for the most part kind of everyone basically gets a happy ending, I think. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's the ambiguity surrounding Chuck and Sarah. I think that it there is a decent amount of fan service in the sh- the episode, but I feel like there could have probably been more. Yeah. You know, seeing as especially since the the viewers or the fans played such a large role in keeping the show around this long. I mm-hmm. would have expected that there would have been a little bit more yeah. overt fan service, I guess. Um, and it is a bold choice to end on a ambiguous ish note like that. Um, especially. And I think when I first watched the episode, when it premiered, I definitely was disappointed at the end. Cause I was like, that was it. And also like, I felt like I'm like, we we saved the show and this is all we get. We get this weird, ambiguous ending. Like yeah. you couldn't even just like give us a happy, over the yeah. top, nice ending for just like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's part of me that still feels like that. And I do think that they kind of were like needlessly like. Because, I mean, it's not exactly, you know, an Emmy award winning drama I'm like, yeah. you guys could, you guys, it's fine. It's the last episode of Chuck. It's in the Friday night death slot. Like just make it dumb and happy. And that's yeah. all people want. Like you don't need to like really now in the last ever episode, you're going to be like, oh, well, we're going to, what if, Yeah. <laughs> why? Um, so that is kind of a bone to pick uh, for me. I guess we'll talk about how we feel about the actual ambiguity or what our theories are of what is going to go on with Chuck and Sarah after this, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in a season overview kind of episode yeah. or whatnot. But um, yeah, I think I did not hate it as much as I thought I was going to. I think mm-hmm. I, my memories of it were much harsher on it than my feelings about it actually are, which was nice. 
I'm glad that I wasn't act- actively upset. Um, and I do think it's a little bit better than the episodes leading into it. I agree. Because I was expecting it to be worse based off of the tra- trajectory that we've been on. But things kind of get wrapped up and it ends up being okay. So, yeah. <sighs> Chuck versus the goodbye. Chuck versus the goodbye. We're getting ready to say goodbye to this episode ourselves. But before we do that, we're going to have one last lesson of the week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? I learned that apparently you can conduct a whole orchestra with no previous experience. And or that Morgan was secretly a brilliant conductor this whole time. And that was just a plot line they never had time for. You know, it's an idea that I just had that is not I don't think it would really be marketable now. But like at this time, it would have been maybe like. If you had, because I was like, what if you had like orchestra hero, like rock band or guitar hero, but it's conductor and you ah. have you use your Wii remote to do the conducting of the orchestra. Okay, that's kind of cool because I feel like, and maybe I am one of these people, I like, not, I have immense respect for conductors, but it does kind of just look like they're waving a stick around. <laughs> I would like to understand because like having been in third grade band, of course, I am an expert. Um... I feel like I know what the people um, in an orchestra or band are doing, like they're reading their stuff. I've always wondered, like, why do we need the conductor? What are they doing? What are they indicating? So if I had a game where I could play as the conductor, I might know. So good idea. It's basically I'm assuming it's just like you guys get louder. You guys get softer. (laughs) You get louder. And then you hold it above your head. You wave it in a circle. You say, woo! Keep doing a great job. Everybody's doing a great job. Keep it up. Nope. You get louder. You get softer. You go faster. You go slower. I think it's okay, that. So you you learned something. You learned your next uh, business adventure after a go chug yourself. <laughs> yes. Now is a great time to invest in Wii games. <laughs> uh, this week, I learned why the show is called Chuck. It's because Chuck has been the main character. That's that's what you're going with. I couldn't think of anything better. I thought you were going to at least do like a pun where you were like, because we are chucking it away or something. I don't know. No, chucking it like, into the trash. This, this has been the story of a man whose name is Charles, but he goes by Chuck. And I mean, that's yeah, that's it's, true. It's been his we journey. We did get one final. Your aces, Charles. We did. That was did nice. you, it seems like you didn't get really emotional during this episode at all. Did you? No, did you? No, I mean, I, I don't think I, I didn't really have any tears left to cry. You got emo- yeah, you got emotional the last, last one. week. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't really get emotional. I'm a little emotional. Like, I think I would be emotional if this was like the final episode of Go Chug Yourself. But we still have content to talk about. We might get more emotional then. Um, it is a monumental like I don't, I don't want to be masturbatory here with ourselves, but it is a monumental thing that we have done. It's a it's a huge like it's a it's a five season show with over 100 episodes like it's um, it's no like one and a half season thing that got canceled like it's it's been it's been like a huge part of our lives. And that is kind of emotional to think about. Um, But I don't I don't want to we're we're here uh, at the end. I don't want to just start bawling. So I'm, I'm just holding it in. Right. We did it. We're not like picking those shows that are just a few seasons or a few episodes. Like Psych. We picked. They probably have a ton of episodes. They must have a ton. I'm sure Psych has like 10 seasons. Let's look it up. Um, It's like 10 seasons of 50 episodes each. 
How many episodes? Uh, there's eight seasons with 120 <laughs> total episodes. So uh, never mind. Take it, take it back. Um, go psych yourself. Coming soon. <laughs> yes. It should, it should just be called like psych with an exclamation mark. Like we're saying like psych. Psych. This isn't a podcast about psych. Um, yeah. But as Aaron said, it's not necessarily the end of the road for go check yourself because we're going to be talking about the all of the bonus features that are come with the season five DVD. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about like, you know, doing one of our classic season end of season recaps reviews where we kind of take a bird's eye view of the season and talk about it as a whole. And then I'm sure we'll have other surprises down the road beyond that. Yeah, so of course. It's not not uh not us versus the goodbye just yet, I not guess. Not just yet. So I don't I think there's gonna be I don't know when this episode is going to air or when the next episode after this is going to air. There might be a little delay because we're nearing the holidays and whatnot. But uh, tune back in soon, I guess, for new episodes. They will be coming within the next week or two. So until then, in the words of the great Irene Demova, my name is Christopher Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy. Irene Demova did, in fact, say my name is Chris Gillespie. It was very weird. Very off-putting for me. <laughs> Um, my name is Erin Arado, reminding you that anything is possible. Go out there and sit on a beach and give someone a magic kiss uh, consensually. Make sure you give a consensual magic kiss. No, uh, no unconsensual magic kisses. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.